Everybody doing okay today? Standing up here, looking at you guys. Uh, I'm going to tell you, I'm freaking out a little bit this morning uh, because something that really, uh, let's see, I started in 98 as a youth pastor. And um, how many years does that make it for me? 25 years this year, right, in ministry? Wow. It's It's a long time when you add it all up. Um, I can't remember a time that I felt what I felt this morning. So we're going to see how we get through this because I have an entire sermon prepared and uh, I've heard pastors get up and say, well, I was going to speak on this and then God told me this and I was like, I'm always like, they just didn't prepare anything. <laughs> they just weren't ready. So God's talking to me this morning. Just so you guys know, I'm going to be all over the place. If you uh, end up going to the church app where our notes are for today, um, probably most of that will get in there at some point today. Uh, But I'm going to, I really feel like God wants me to to finish this part of Ephesians. So I'm going to do that quickly. But then he wants to have a heart to heart with us today. Uh, so anyway, and I don't mind my feelings. Maybe I'm just in my feelings. Do you guys ever just get in your feelings and you're like, I don't even know. Um, if you know me, uh, one of my, um, top five strengths is positivity. Uh, you guys ever do the strengths finder index and it tells you your top five strengths. Um, I've told you guys before I've shared that competition is my number one, um, which means I love competition. I want to do competition. It's, you know, um, it, affects me sometimes as a pastor because I'm competitive and I want to beat the other pastors, but I have to be careful and be like, well, it's not just about numbers. Uh, thank you, my friend. It's not just about numbers. It's, uh, it's also about souls that are reached for Jesus, right? And uh, it, that's primarily what it is, not also. That is what it is. So uh, anyway, so my, my third overall strength is positivity. So I'm a very positive guy. And um, I... I, for me, life is great, and we're having a good time, and um, people, some, uh, somebody else might say, like, I, I don't like this person, I can't get along with this person, I can't, I'm like, what's well, fine, it's fine, they're fine, we're fine, everybody's fine, it's going to be good. Uh, anyway, it's just a state of being for me, but I'll tell you this morning, I, I've, I was overwhelmed. Uh, we're, if you're a guest today, I apologize. My name's Calvary. <laughs> I'm the pastor, and uh, I know that there's, Sarisa said, it's, you know, it's light. To, the sun came out, you know, and so I'm sure some people were like, hey, the sun's out. Let's do something, <laughs> which is fine, because who God wants here today is who's here. And um, I'm forming thoughts. We're going to pick up on Ephesians. Um, we started Ephesians a while back. We only have probably another four weeks in Ephesians, and uh, we'll be through with it. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 today. Um, and I want you to keep in mind that as we read the first nine chapter, or verses, whew, nine chapters, that'd be a long reading, uh, the first nine verses of chapter 6, it is, when Paul wrote this, he just wrote a letter. You know, he just wrote a letter to some people, and it wasn't divided into chapters and verses and all of that. So if we go back to, and when you read the Bible, by the way, read it like that, like the, the living document that it was when it was written. 
it, it really makes things interesting. I think a couple weeks ago I mentioned um, 1 Corinthians 13. It wasn't like Paul stopped and said, hey, I'm going to put a chapter about love in the middle of this letter. It was all part of the same letter. It's a flowing document. And that's kind of where we're at today. Um, two weeks ago, last week, two weeks ago we talked about uh, marriages, the end of chapter 5. Last week, we took a pause because of the marriage conference, which was great, by the way. Um, they're already working on next year's um, conference. I just, I'm very excited about uh, who we had here. Somebody said that um, some of the knowledge and information that was dropped on us was worth thousands and thousands of dollars. And uh, it was just, we're grateful to those who gave their time because they really shared valuable scriptural-based uh, information and knowledge. But... So we took a break last week. Today we're going to pick back up with chapter 6. And it feels kind of awkward because we started with marriage and now we're going to go into parents and children and then masters and slaves. Um, but when, like I was saying, when Paul wrote this thing, he wrote it all as one piece. So if we think about that, really this whole thing is about relationship. This whole little section that we're in. And You'll understand, I think, at the end, what I feel like God wants to share with us beyond what I've prepared today, which is what makes me nervous because um, as I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm trying to worship and then I start to hear from God and then I'm, I'm getting this verse and this verse and this verse and, uh, uh, you know, portions of scripture and God saying, I just really need to share this. Um, but it all has to do with relationship, okay? And um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to kind of stay on with this and uh, kind of get us through. And, and another thing about today, usually when I write a message, it's like six pages long, uh, which, you know, is not super long, but that's my length. Today's is 11. I was already thinking, how am I going to do this quick enough uh, with 11 pages? Um, but we're going to make it work, right? So let me read for you uh, chapters 6, verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to dig into it a little bit, okay? Uh, it starts off like this. Children, remember we're coming off of marriages, right? Wives and husbands, and now children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward you, will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven." And there is no favoritism with him. So um, just getting into this, we start off the first three verses and, and we're really dealing with a family dynamic. And uh, if you get into the message notes, there's going to be a few more things on the app than there are um, up here today. But the, the first, some Greek words and some other stuff, which, you know, I really love digging into the Greek and the other languages, uh, those kind of things. But... Um, it's really the first thing he says is children obey your parents and this is a command as in you must obey your parents. There's really three primary commands here. 
one to children that they have to obey, one to fathers to bring them up in the discipline of the Lord. And then he says, don't provoke your children. We'll talk about all three of those. Picking up with kids first, though, uh, the word for children he uses here is, uh, it's like uh, for little kids. We're talking about juveniles, people who are uh, children for us would be probably up to 13, 14 years old. Um, children, obey your parents. This is a command, something you must do. You have one duty as a child, and that is to uh, bring to your parents obedience and honor. And, and then parents have one duty, and that is to instruct their children in the name of the Lord. So I don't know if you guys have noticed that the family is one of the, one of the places, or maybe the place that Satan loves to attack. He wants to break the family down. He wants to destroy the family. He wants to do everything he can to hurt it. Did you know, I, was, I did some research preparing for today, read a bunch of surveys and stuff, but one thing they all had in common is that um, children who are part of a home where the mother and father both go to church are more likely to continue to be faithful. Uh, there was a famous Swiss study that was done, and it says... It concluded that 75% of children will, and you know how they do, are very likely or mostly likely or whatever, but 75% of children are either very likely or um, somewhat likely to stay faithful and connected to church after they leave the house. 75%. Do you know that that number drops to a single mother household to 2 or 3%? Satan wants to attack our families. Now, for those that don't have uh, homes where it's a mother and a father, I, I think that that's okay. I came from a house with, a, you know, a, a broken family, a divorced family, and I think I turned out okay. So, like, God will be with you. God's going to do. Stay faithful to God. Raise your kids to be faithful, and God's going to take care of you. The point is that it's very clear that family matters, right? And, and then he, he talks about um, the blessing of children. Did you know, if you read in Psalm 127, it says, children are heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, and the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. You shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Children are a blessing from God. They are not commodities, and they are not inconveniences, Children are a blessing, but also they are not the center of our universe. They are entrusted to you by God. Your job as a parent, recently I had this discussion this week, your job, your job is to make sure that you teach them to be holy, God-loving people. Beyond that, it's all just, you know, it, it, it could be good, it could be Whatever. Maybe your kids are your retirement when they become a professional athlete. I don't know. But that's not why you're raising them. I hope one of my kids ends up like that. Set me up. But I want to raise them to love and honor and fear and obey God. And let me rephrase that. I must. That is your God-given mandate as a parent. And so this word that's used for children means offspring. It's techna, and it just means younger children or teens. You see it on the screen there. I'm pushing through pretty quick. If you have questions, talk to me later, okay? 
I got to get to the end, what I really feel like God's doing for me here. So uh, Jesus' example then, he set example for us, Luke 2.52, and you guys will recognize this scripture verse. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So if we're going to take Jesus as an example on how he grew up, what happened to him? Four things. He increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with men and favor with God. So the parent's responsibility then is to bring, help them grow mentally, help them grow physically, help them to grow socially, and help them to develop spiritually. The Apostle Paul says in verse 2, to honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. So that you will go, it will go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. See, he changes gears here a little bit because he doesn't want to, once you grow up, he doesn't want to let you off the hook. So it changes from obey to honor. So the difference here is the word honor is tomeo. And, and it means to give assistance to uh, or provide for the needs of as a sign of respect. It's, it's respecting them. And, you know, as, a, as an adult child or if you have parents who are still living, which uh, don't forget Mother's Day is coming up. And then we have like six months until Christmas. Here's some ways to honor, just some ideas. Uh, forgive them. How many of us hold grudges over our parents because of some things they did when we were growing up and then now we, we get here and we're like, wait a minute, I did some of those same things to my kids. Oh, I'm sorry. Forgive them. You know what? Tell them you love them. Show appreciation. Let them know that you understand their hard times that they went through. I can still remember as a child, we would want to go out to eat. We had no money. We would literally dig through the cushions for change to have a 99 cent Whopper. I can remember as a child, we need 99 cents. We'll worry about the taxes later. We just need, we need a dollar. Let's round it up. And we would do that. We would dig through the cushions. Um, listen to my funny stories or your parents' funny stories. <laughs> still not funny. I See, I tell my kids, I want you to laugh at my jokes. And they're like, well, you laugh at your own jokes. Well, somebody's got to laugh because they're funny. Speak well of your parents. Spend time with your parents. Just honor them. But then there is a command for parents in verse 4. He says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, I'm going to let you moms know that you're not off the hook. Because the Greek word there is actually pateres. Which means parents. <laughs> Translated as father in most translations. But it means parents. So parents do not exasperate your kids. There was a Roman law called Patria Potestas during the time that Paul wrote this. It basically said a father had absolute power over his family. In fact, a father uh, could do whatever he wanted to any member of his house as if they were a slave. If you didn't want a baby, you would drown them. It's just what you did. So how many of you parents have told, I'm going to kill you, kid. <laughs> like back then, they, were, they would like run and hide because it might happen. There was a Greek philosopher named Seneca. Some of you may have heard of him. He wrote this. We slaughter a fierce ox. We strangle a mad dog. We plunge the knife into a, the sickliest cattle. Children who are born weak and deformed, we drown. That's the the world that Paul was writing this letter to. And what he was telling the children is obey your parents. 
everything about the Christian life is counterintuitive. Obey your Christian parents. And parents, take your role that God gave you seriously. Don't provoke your children. This is countercultural advice. There is a temptation to provoke, though. Can I get a witness? Like, you want to provoke those kids. And we're not talking about teasing, which happens in our house. You can provoke them by being too harsh or too lenient. Uh, Paul Mayer wrote a book, and in the book he gave several essential elements for raising kids. And this, he said that uh, they need to be brought up in a house where love is dominating. That was his number one, in fact. Where discipline is consistent and fair. Where consistency in standards and principles and responses and rules, consistency matters. And I can tell you, having been a youth pastor for 10 years, that consistency was one of the number one things that the kids were looking for in their parents. And the fourth, parents do not expect your children to live up to standards that you don't live up to. The word used for provoke means to create an irritation to anger. There's a delicate balance there because as parents we have to exercise authority over our kids, but we shouldn't exercise authority in such a way that demeans them, that demoralizes them, that pushes them over the edge. Our job as parents is to walk that fine line. You guys know if you provoke your kids, I've done it, it leads to frustration and anger. I mean, I'm not trying to anger them, just trying to get them to do what they need to do. But then parents are called to nurture their kids, to take care of their kids, to, to bring their kids up in the discipline and, and instruction of the Lord. Guide them, nurture them, teach them. Build them up, don't tear them down. Discipline is not a bad thing. Now, I'm not telling you how to discipline, but I am telling you that you should discipline. Discipline is training. Children need boundaries that they can move in, that they can grow in, that they can make mistakes in, where it's safe. We're setting up boundaries for them. Maybe most importantly, though, is we need to teach them who Jesus Christ is. And here's, I had three points. Here's the last one, verses five through nine. Gets a little dicey here. Slaves, obey your earthly masters. Listen, Let's remember we're talking about a life lived in the Spirit. Things on this scripture that Paul wrote are not a list of do's and don'ts. They're principles to be applied to our life, godly principles, things that if, if we believe in Jesus Christ, if he has changed our hearts and, and if the Holy Spirit has is, is embedded himself in us, things, the, the way that we live will look like this. The foundation for all good relationships, if it's between believers or, or husbands and wives or parents and children or employers and employees, is mutual submission in reverence for the Lord. Your relationship with Jesus governs this relationship part of your life. And I want to talk about slavery for just a minute. That our Western worldview Prevents a, or presents a um, difficulty for us to understand slavery the way that Paul was talking about it. We view slavery as brutal and oppressive and 
the slaves of the South who were um, black men and women who were forcibly taken from their homes and made to work against their will in crazy environments, in ways that nobody should ever be treated. It's, it's hard for our Western mind to wrap itself around the slavery the way that Paul's talking about here. And I also want to say that Ephesians 6 has been used over history way less now than it used to be as an incorrectly interpreted in such a way to say that the Bible condones slavery. Just for a minute, let's look at this. God, Genesis 127 says that God created every person, male and female, uniquely from all other creations in his image. In Bible times, slavery was a means to help someone out of poverty or momentous debt. It was a way a person could avoid being destitute or impoverished. They could give themselves as a slave to work for somebody. In fact, many slaves are said to have loved their masters and the families of their masters and become like family. Some slaves even, and this is a... A, uh, in the Bible, some slaves would choose to give themselves for life to their master, and that's when they would put their ear against the doorpost. You guys remember this? And they would hammer an awl, uh, like a fat nail, through the ear. Some people, I, I know some Christians who have chosen to even have their ears pierced as a sign of their commitment to Jesus because of that. It's loose. They probably just wanted their ears pierced. But I, that's what they said. Having a slave was not the same moral evil it, is, it, it has become. It wasn't in the, in the scripture. Slavery was a very common practice. Um, slavery was not like it became from the 16th to the 19th century where it was a degradation of a race or the oppression of a culture. Because that's what it became. It was based more on economics. It was a matter of social status. You guys understanding what I'm saying? I just want to make sure that you know where I stand. I am I in no way condone, and I don't think any of you do either, slavery. I think it was wrong. And shame on the people who read the Bible and made it mean that it was okay to treat slaves the way they did. But like anything, in the Bible there were abuses and God talks about it. And you can read them in Deuteronomy 15, Ephesians chapter 6, Colossians chapter 4. Like it's in there. There were abuses of slavery at that time also. I, and I'm not trying to make slavery anything good. I'm just giving you context of what Paul was writing to. In fact, in the New Testament Roman world... It's estimated as many as 60 million people were slaves. In fact, they believe that a third of the city of Rome was were, were considered themselves slaves. It was just a different context. Sometimes it was even doctors or lawyers or politicians. They were slaves. Over the last few centuries, slavery took a dark turn. And uh, people were enslaved because of the color of their skin. In the United States, just because people were black, they were considered slaves. I don't want to keep harping on it. I just want you guys to know where I stand on it. 
Um, the Bible does speak against what they call man-stealing, which is what happened from the 16th to the 19th century. People would go and, and steal people from Africa, force them, and, and sell them to slave traders and force them to be slaves. And that practice is abhorrent to God. That's in the Bible too. So what I want to do is I want to help us to contextualize this. Let's say this. Um, we recognize that many of us today are enslaved through our debt and our necessity for dependence on, on work. And we are under the authority of a person or a corporation. Would you agree with that? So I've read several things about this, and I believe from a scripture hermeneutical standpoint that we can also say that Paul is speaking to employees and employers, similar to the context of the time. When Paul says uh, bondservant and master, then we can say employee and employer. Masters are called to treat their bondservants justly and fairly. Um, and, and this is, we're getting into some, what I think, it's not about employee, employer, or master, or slave, but it is about relationship, and it is about who do people believe we are based on how we act. And we're getting to the core of the matter is all about relationship. Who you are at your work is who people believe Christians to be. How you treat your employer are how people believe Christians act. And employers, how you treat your employees is how people believe Christians are. I know, I've heard people say that my boss says they're a Christian, but they sure do lie. Or my boss is a, says they're a Christian and they sure do mistreat. Or the boss says, I, they said they're a Christian, but man, they're always late and they're the laziest one I got. Right? People are looking at you. Who are you? Who are we? And I believe that this is what God is in, uh, in the book of John. So we're going to get, God help me that I make sure I get all these right. In the book of John, um, the thing that separates Christians from everybody else is love. Right? I mean, that we love, how we love, who we love. And really it all comes from this. This is one of the most startling Scriptures in the entire New Testament to me. John 13, 34. Jesus is talking to his disciples. We've, I've read this probably a hundred times since I've been here. I just, Jesus says, a new command I give you. This is in the upper room, Last Supper. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By all this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This gets to our relationships. 
How are we loving our spouses? If we have spouses, how are we loving them? How are we loving our families, children's, children and parents? What kind of love do we have? What kind of love do we show our employers or our employees? Can we say, all men know who you are, Jesus, because of the way I acted today? And then I started thinking, what are we doing? Like, <laughs> and this is all unprepared, it's just from my heart, but I just want to know, I'm asking you, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Who are we as a church? Is today a day that we know, well, it's church again. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to see my friends. Is it our Rotary Club meeting this morning? Is this what, what we're doing? Or are we coming to get a good word and feel, feel filled for the week? Are we coming to grow in our love for each other and for God? Do you know how much Jesus loved his disciples? Let's look at verse 1, 13 verse 1. Uh, it was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own, this is it. And I don't like this, this translation. But having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Other translations and what I prefer is having loved his own, he loved them until the end. It's another one of the more startling. John, the second half of John is just out of control. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He showed them the full extent of his love. To the end, until the end. The Greek there is estelos. E-I-S-T-E-L. If I ever get a tattoo, that's what it's gonna say. <laughs> until the end. Because the tattoo's till the end. <laughs> but also that's how Jesus loved his disciples. Now listen, he loved his disciples and, and that carries a, a sense of completion of it has been formed, it is finished, it is full, right? As telos, it's, it's, it's completion. So, and here's what God's was rattling around in my heart this morning. And I believe he wanted me to finish that, which crazy 11 pages in that short of time. But it's about relationship, which comes down to love. How are we loving each other? Jesus gave us the command to love. And how did he love? He loved until the end. And do you know that this was right before, and if you, you can just read the headlines if you have the NIV, he, right before Judas was gonna betray him and right before Peter was gonna deny him, like his best friends in the world were about to seal his fate and knowing that, he loved them till the end. And then he says, do you know how I want you guys to love? They didn't understand it. Now we can look back and say, wow. He knew he was going to be delivered into the enemy's hands. He knew that his, one of his very best friends, one of the closest three that he had, was going to say, I don't know who that guy is. He knew that. I feel like there's a sermon here somewhere. But he loved them until the end. 
And who is Jesus? Jesus, Philippians chapter 2. Being in the very nature God. Did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant. I guess I want to know what are we doing? Let me rephrase that. Maybe this is what God wants to know. What are we doing? Do we love each other that much? Knowing that we're going to be betrayed? Um, is Sunday morning just another time to come to the club and hang out with our friends? Or are we loving each other to the point that even though we know that people are going to let us down, two of Jesus' disciples let him down. I mean, in the last minutes, he still loved him till the end. Jesus, who considered, did not consider equality with God. He considered himself nothing. God became Jesus, took on the form of a servant. I feel like sometimes we're jockeying for the best position as people, for the most sway in the church. And all I want is for other people to experience the love that we know for each other. And I think this is all that God wants. I would never rephrase that. I know that this is what God wants because 1334. By this, everybody will know who I am if we, because of the way we love each other. So, I just want church to be more than just our time to get together. Like, I love it, and I love you guys, and I love my conversations that I have with different ones of you and I, I love time spent and I like these, this is, these are all good things part of me is confused why we have any open seats today to be honest because if people knew what kind of love we had that Jesus gave us they would want to be a part and we could go into a whole diatribe of Jesus talking about his kingdom and that's what the kingdom of God is and he says when people understand what that is they will do anything to be a part of that he tells several stories I've told you guys before sell everything they have and buy a field kind of stories like they will do anything but honestly guys we don't have any we don't have people who are doing anything to become a part of his kingdom it doesn't feel like so, I'm not sure why God did this to me today because it's extremely uncomfortable and unnerving for me. But it stirred me up. <laughs> so, I'm gonna have Bruno, just come by yourself, Bruno. I'm gonna have you play something. And I just wanna close with a time of prayer. And I don't even know what that prayer looks like for us. And I, I want you to know Again, how much I love and care about each one. There's nobody here that I'm like, oh, that guy again. <laughs> like, I love you guys. And 
I want for this church and for us every bit of what God wants for us. Like, I want it. But I think until we want it, it's not going to happen. And maybe that's what God wants for us. So where are we at today? Let's just pray that God gives us the kind of love because I can, I can have this conversation, but I can't make you feel what I'm feeling right now. Oh, I wish I could. I can't make you feel that. Only God can. So my prayer this morning is that God empowers you with that love. And so I guess I'm asking, why don't you make that your prayer too? And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, right on, I agree with you and I want that. You may be here and you're like, you're a cuckoo and <laughs> I am done. Like, I don't know. I had to be obedient though. This is, if you've known me for any length of time, you know this is not me. But God has a message for us today. And it started with, he said, Cal, what are you doing here? What's happening today? Well, God, I'm here to do church. I'm going to wreck that. So if you guys would, would you stand? I don't know what the end looks like. We are going to pray here for a minute. God, fill our hearts with love today. Fill our hearts with love. I don't know what you want to do for us as a church. And as we're praying this morning, I, I really invite you guys, if you want this, if, if this is what you want, then please come kneel at these altars this morning. Because God, I believe, I, well, I'll rephrase that. I know this is what you want. You shook me this morning. But I know this is what you want. And you want us to exemplify the kind of love You want us to exemplify the kind of love that you had for us, who, God, you took on the form of a servant, Jesus Christ. <laughs> even knowing that you would be disappointed, even knowing that Peter would deny you, even knowing that Judas would betray you, you still poured yourself out that same evening, knowing what they would do. You loved them until the end, completely, to wholeness. It was shalom kind of love. It was whole. So this morning, God, we're just going to wait a minute. We're going to wait a minute, and we want you to fill us with that kind of love. I am. We're going to wait. 
There's lots of room at the altar if you want to come pray. Okay. I'm not sure if you can hear. Okay, I'm on. Um, I'm like Calvary. I don't do good with testimonies. I'm not. I talk a lot. That's what I do. I do a lot of talking. But in our class this morning, we read a scripture, and I was like, oh, that's a really good scripture. And now I know why God gave it, it to us today. But it's out of Second Peter. And bear with me, because I'm a crybaby, so I might cry through this whole thing. But I think this will really help us. But Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. The title is called The Christian's Call and Election. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Thus he has given us, through these things, his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust and may become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from being ineffective. How often do we feel ineffective as believers? I know I, I, know I do. I tell Calvary probably every two years I'm ready to leave ministry. I don't feel like I'm doing enough. It keeps you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is nearsighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, for in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Therefore, I intend to keep on reminding you of these things. Though you know them already and are established in the truth that has come to you, I think it is right, as long as I am this body, to refresh your memory, since I know that my death will come soon, as indeed our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. And the reason why I, was thought, I thought of this was because everything that Calvary has been talking about this morning, I feel like God has probably been talking to each one of us. We just haven't been able to articulate it correctly. But he's asking us, what are we doing here? And I feel like I ask this quite often. And I was telling, I've told several of my close friends, but we come to church because one, that's what is expected, especially for those of us in the South. Uh, we're looking for some sort of answer to an issue in our life. We're hoping that through osmosis, all of our problems will be fixed like that. Or I'll go to men's Bible study and Ned will share something that will help me feel better for that week. But we are forgetting the true source, which is Jesus Christ. And he says that he's already given it to us, right? And so in my home group and in, uh, with a conference and a Sunday school class, they've all heard me say, we have, we have a therapist, we have a church on every corner, we have books, we have Bibles. We have friends that will help us through every situation. But until we're ready to actually do the work, nothing in our lives will change. So we can come through these doors 
and we can expect to change. But unless we're making the intention, the intentional, that's not a word, intentional move to have a deeper relationship with Christ is not going to change. So when God says, what are you doing here? Are you, are you deepening your relationship with Christ? And man, I know it even says in 2 Peter, he knows that there's things that are going to happen. We already know the truth, but we're not doing it. And churches are dying every 30 seconds. The United States is moving into a post-Christian era. And I'm not going down with it. And I hope you won't either. So I'm going to pray as best as I can. I don't want to prolong it because you won't come back. But I really want us to start thinking about our relationship with Christ. Yeah, that's right. And not everybody's going to do a deep dive, right? But we have to be more intentional. I was very convicted this week about intentionality with my children. You know, he was talking about parenting. I have to be more intentional with my children to make sure that they're set up, that they have a solid foundation, right? I worship a God that already did that. So God, I just pray, I don't know what's happening today. Maybe I'm in my fields too. But God, if we are to partner with you to build the kingdom of God, we have to know the God of the kingdom that we want to be a part of. And so God, I just pray that as we leave this place, that we will be very intentional we may not even know what that looks like. It may be five seconds at a time. It may be 10 minutes of prayer and Bible study. But God, I pray that in that 10 minutes that a fire will just be lit inside us so deep that we can't do anything but want to spend time with you, to know you better. Because as long as you continue to be the vine and as long as that fire is burned, burning inside me, I want to, to love my neighbor. I want to share the kingdom of God. I want to make things better for others and serve my neighbor. You've given us all the resources. You've given us everything. So God, I pray that we will not be like in Isaiah 6, verse 8, where he says, I'll go. Where do you want me to go, God? And Jesus says, go to these people, but tell them that they're not going to turn their eyes towards me and see, that they won't turn their ears towards me and hear that they will be destined for failure. I don't want that, God. So I'm begging you, take the scales off our eyes and our ears and then most importantly, our heart. I pray, God, that each person here will have a renewed vigor for you. And those that are not here, I pray that you find them. You snap, snatch them up, God. We rebuke Satan in all aspects of our lives, yes. our finances, our families. You are not going to attack us. We are charging the gates of hell. It is not the other way around. And so God, I just pray that you will just bless each person here. And I pray that whatever it is that you wanted to have happen here, happens, God. 
we love you, Jesus, and we're just really desperate. We don't know where to go, yeah. but we know that as long as we're following you, we're going to be fine. That's right. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we went a little long today. Sorry, everyone. But uh, listen, when God speaks, we answer, right? Uh, listen, appreciate all of you guys. Um, honestly do love you. And if you have questions or want to talk about anything I said today, please come talk to me. But um, don't forget about signing up for the PBS if you want or uh, I don't know, so many things going on. But y'all have a great week and we will see you back here next week.